turn uh, in your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2. Peanut butter and jelly. Pepper. All in football. Some things just go together, don't they? You and me are like that. We belong together. Ephesians chapter 2. Stand with me as we read from God's Word. This is the Word of God, and if you let it, it will change your life. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers according to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Pray with me. Father, it is you who brings us together. May us never forget that. May we never forget that you are the one who makes us belong together. Bless the preaching of your word in this time. May it change our hearts. May it do the work you are sending it out to do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We belong together. Part of our vision is is being God's family. Adopted by faith. We talked about last week the fact that Jesus Christ has brought us into the family of God. Securing our adoption by paying the price for our sins. And reconciling us to God. That's what he does on the cross. And as a result, we become part of God's family. Now, one thing about a family, a family is a place to be together. When you think about family, most of the stuff that you think about has to do with other people in the family, right? You think of times when your power goes out and you're doing shadow puppets on the walls with kids just to occupy their time. You think of times when you're sitting around the table laughing and cutting up and enjoying food that may just be hot dogs that you cooked on the stove. Doesn't really matter. Doesn't matter what great feast it is or what barely any is there. But just the company of each other laughing and sharing life together. You think of things like piano recitals where you drag the other kids kicking and screaming to to listen to that one son or that one daughter play this five-minute piece but takes two hours to get through the whole thing because there's so many other kids. You think of family, you think of together, whether it's standing around a barbecue, sitting on the porch, whether it's 
going through a storm, huddled up in a inner room of the house, praying that your house doesn't blow away. Family is made with us together. You don't have a family of one. That just doesn't make sense. And so being part of God's family involves us belonging together. But you see, it wasn't always that way. We didn't always belong. In fact, before Christ did his work, we were separated from God and from each other. We had no part in each other. Look back in verse 11. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. I, I want you to I want you to take a moment and consider the the history of Israel. God calls Israel, separates them out. It's from the time that he's talking to Abraham. God says, I'm going to make all of the nations of the world blessed through you. You are going to bring a blessing to the entire world. But the covenant that is made with Abraham is made with Abraham. It's not made just to the whole world. The whole world benefits, but the covenant is made with Abraham. And then as Abraham has his family, he, he, he has Isaac, and then Isaac has Jacob, and, and Jacob has his sons, and it grows from there. The covenant that is made is made with those people, with that one unique group of people, the Israelites. God deals directly with them. Nobody else in the history of the world has covenant between the God and the people, except for Israel. It makes them unique. It makes them different. And God said that difference is going to spread out into all areas of your life. The way your society is going to be founded is based on a law that I give you. A law that I gave Moses on top of Mount Sinai when I told him not only the Ten Commandments, but many other commands. The law had 613 different commands. Some of them were general principles that are true of all of life, no matter who you are. But some of them are particular to Israel. You're not going to eat these certain things. You're not going to live these certain practices. You're not going to worship in these certain ways. All of these things making Israel distinct among the nations of the world. The problem is when you tell a kid he's different and he's special, he starts to get a really big head. And that's exactly what happened in the Jewish nation. Well, we're special. That means all of y'all aren't. That means I can disparage Gentiles because they're filthy dogs. They're not the people of God. Now, some Jews don't do that. Some Israelites serve God in various capacities. And sometimes even among the nations. There were some Gentiles that would join in, but they couldn't be born into this. It was a very difficult process for a Gentile to become a proselyte. It does happen. Look at the story of Ruth. It's a perfect example of one who does. But that was the exception, not the rule. For the most part, Jews stayed miles away from Gentiles. You got to keep them way over there or they're going to defile us. Instead of what God intended as you be the example for the nations so that they will come and follow my ways too, it became I am exclusive among the nations and everybody else doesn't amount to a hill of beans. And that's the problem that Paul's identifying. See, there was a time when we as Gentiles would not have access to God. 
not just because the Jews weren't doing their part, but because God hadn't dealt, dealt with us. He had chosen them. There was a time when we were separated, separated from God. Verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. You had no way, you had no way to have relationship with Jesus Christ. Not only that, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel because you're separated from God. You're separated from His people as well. So you're alienated. You're left separately. There's no crossing the lines here. There's no, there's no getting kind of close and saying how close you can get. No, you're completely separate. There's no, no bridging the gap. Before Christ, there's no bridging the gap. And we've got to understand that at one time, we were so separated from God. Listen to what he says. Strangers to the covenants of promise. God doesn't make a covenant with somebody else. He only makes his covenant to his people. And they can't even live up to that covenant. What hope do I have as a Gentile who don't even get the promises? None. That's why he says having no hope. Not only am I separated, I ain't got a hope because I'm without God in the world. This is my condition. This is your condition without Christ. Taken away from him, alienated from God's people, strangers to his covenants. Strangers to the promises of those covenants. Hopeless without God. Just like prior in this chapter, verses 1 through 3 um, describe our life before Christ and how wicked and terrible we are. This is kind of showing how separated we are. These couple of verses here show us just how far we are from God, how far we are from His people, how far we are from being together. This is but God in verse 4. Changes everything. But now in verse 13. Changes everything. Instead of being separated, we are now brought together. Instead of being kept away, we are now... Well, read it for yourself. Verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So, so here's the picture. You're way over there. God is way over there. So God comes from way over there to way over here, grabs you by the collar, and pulls you over here to God. He escorts you straight to the presence of God, to not be far off, to not be separated, to not be alienated and strangers anymore, but to be near to God. Listen to how he says this. You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In Jesus Christ, we have a way to get to God. We talked about that last week with this adoption by faith. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, God adopts us into His family. But it's not just that God says, okay, you're my family, but you're extended family, so stay over there. It's you're my family, you're my close family. Come over here. It's that God takes us from our faraway place, our place where we're without hope and without God, separated from Christ, alienated from His people, strangers to the promises. He takes us and He pulls us in to His presence. So we're no longer way over there. We're now here. And what does that do? Boy, it changes everything. Because now 
Now we belong for he himself, verse 14. He doesn't just make peace. It's like he doesn't just love. He, he doesn't just tell the truth. He doesn't just point us to the way. He doesn't just mm, give us life. He is our peace. He is love. He is the way, the truth, the life. This is what's different about our God from everything. If you look at the secular gods of this age, what you will find are gods that demand absolutely everything of you before before they even consider you to be part of it. You have to completely deny everything else and only live for that one thing, whether it's a hedonistic response to pleasure, that you only live for pleasure, and only thing that matters is pleasure. And everything you do revolves around pleasure. Or whether it's the, the doctrines of atheism that tell you you cannot have a God. It's not that you can kind of, sort of believe in God, but that He doesn't matter. No, you can't have Him at all. Whether you look at the gods of this age... The gods of tolerance that demands you be intolerant of those who disagree. Or whether it's the god of social justice that not only requires you not be racist, but you have to be anti-racist and racist in the opposite direction to correct the past racism. God, the Christian God, Jesus Christ, is the only one who goes to you when you're far off and brings you near. None of the rest of them can do that. You know why none of the rest of them can do that? Because they don't want to touch you. You're way over there. you got to come to me. But the God of the Bible says, no, 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 you can't come to me. I'll come to you. Stay where you are. I'm coming. Jesus Christ comes as God in human flesh. No other religion has a God who will stoop down to deal with man, nonetheless become one. But that's the only way. That's the only way. Without God doing this, we could never do it ourselves. And we would be without hope. That's, that's what God has done. He has, he has reconciled us. Reconciled us to Him. For He Himself is our peace, verse 14, who has made us both one. Not only reconciled to Him, reconciled to each other. Because we were separate. Not just from Him, but from y'all. We were all separate. We were all different. And differences tend to do one of two things. You've heard the saying, opposites attract, right? You know why that's true? You know why that's true? Because there are certain things you see in someone else that aren't like you, and you say, I kind of like that. There are certain things you see that someone else is good at that you're not good at, and you say, you know, I could use some help in that area. But you see, that doesn't focus on just the opposites. Opposites don't attract when they only focus on opposites. Opposites attract when they counteract the opposites with the likenesses, with the similarities. You see, because there are things that are both true. And if they're not both true, there's no connection. If you take a magnet, yeah, I have a North Pole and a South Pole, right? to connect together. You try to put two North Poles together. You've seen the kid with the trains that are magnetic and, and they try to push one and it kind of pushes the other one and they're trying to get them together and they won't stick together. And then you say, here, flip it around and then it pops right together. Right? Do you know why that actually works? It's not because they're different. 
It's because they're the same. The magnetic fields are spinning in the same direction. That's why they connect together. But when the magnetic field is spinning in different directions, they won't connect. See, there's got to be some similarity, some, some, something that's the same that brings them together. And in the Christian church, what does that? It's not the food. I know, I'm Baptist, that's heresy. It's not the food that brings us together. It's not the, the music that brings us together. It's not the certain style of preaching that brings us together. It's not the clothes we wear. It's not, it's not our hairstyles. That's not what brings us together. What brings us together? Well, it's kind of hard to be a Christian church without the Christ part, right? I mean, we're named after Him. He is what brings us together. You've heard me say it before, and I'm going to keep saying it because it's such a good quote. Diedrich Bonhoeffer. In Christ, we have each other holy and for all eternity. Christ is the one that makes this Christian community. There is no community without Christ. You may as well go home without Jesus. There's nothing. There's no reason to be here. Without Christ, there is nothing. Nothing at all. He himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the divine wall of hostility. In the temple ground, there, there, y'all, y'all know the story. When Jesus is on the cross and he dies, the veil is torn in two from top to bottom, right? Symbolizing that we now have access to God because of the death of Jesus Christ. But there was another wall that was broken down symbolically that day. In the outer court, there, there's a court of women where anybody can basically show up. And then within that, there is what's called the court of the Gentiles. Gentiles could come in there, but then you would encounter a sign before you walked in to the innermost court, before walking into the temple. And this sign basically said something to the effect of, if you are a person of the nations, a Gentile, do not enter past this point on punishment of death. They were not only discouraged from coming to God, they were forbidden. That dividing wall was also destroyed when Jesus Christ died on the cross because there was no more need for hostility. There was no more need for difference. There was no more need for something to separate this group of people from that group of people. There was no longer a need for God to say, you have to be completely different from the rest of the world in order to show my holiness to them, in order to show them who I am and the difference that I make in your life. You... There was no need for that anymore because now God was going to do a different way. Instead of having a law written down with 613 points of do's and don'ts, of ordinances and, and, and aspects of life that have to be lived in a particular way, of civil laws and occultic religious laws, instead of a law that was based in that, God was going to write the law on their hearts when He promised Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31. That I will make you a new man. And I will write my law on your heart. No longer will people ask him, tell his brother saying, know the Lord. They will all know me. That new covenant that Jeremiah promised is being fulfilled today. And it's being fulfilled at Crestview Baptist Church. Because God has brought us together and made us one. Now, I think of something else when I think of that. Where else have I seen the language of two Becoming one. 
Oh yeah, marriage. And what God has brought to God together, let no man put asunder. Not only in the marriage covenant, but in the life of the church too. God has brought us together. Has broken down in this flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. This is not saying that he has completely gotten rid of the entire law and we don't have to worry about any of it anymore. What he's saying is I've taken the ordinance and I've removed them away because I'm writing the laws on your heart. And it's funny how this works, but God's law doesn't change in the principles behind it. What changes is sometimes we have different practices that fulfill that law. We worship on Sunday instead of Saturday. Some people will say, well, you're sinning against God because you're not worshiping on the Sabbath. Really? So I was made for the Sabbath? We should be worshiping every day. But this first day of the week, we commemorate his resurrection. That's why we worship on Sunday. We don't worship on Sunday in disobedience to the law of the Sabbath. We worship on Sunday in fulfillment of the law of the Sabbath. The Sabbath looks back on the week that was and thanks God for the ability to live through it, the ability to work through it, the ability to earn our food for our families, the ability to do the things we need to do to survive. But the new covenant begins on the first day of the week with us worshiping God in recognition that everything that He is doing now and is about to do is all in His hand and we thank Him for what He does in advance because we already know the promises that He will keep. It's a difference in the way we apply the law, but it's no different law. We still take that day and dedicate it to God because every day is dedicated to God. We're just giving Him the first fruits. You see, this isn't just about whether the ordinances survive or not. Jesus Christ has fulfilled them. Now it's about doing the law in our lives. Him writing it on our hearts and us living in light of it. And part of that means we do it together. We can't do it separate. We cannot do it separate. I hope you pray for those churches that are under government edicts that should not exist. I hope you pray for those churches that are facing difficult decisions on whether they will meet, whether they will disobey the law of man in order to obey the law of God. But what I don't want you to do is to pray that God will get them out of it. Pray that God will see them through it. They don't need prayer that everything will be okay. They need prayer that they'll stand strong in their faith and that God will be honored by their efforts. And I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure those pastors will agree with me when I say that. Someone in China was asked, how can we pray f- for you with all the oppression that you face? And he said, pray for me. I, I, I pray for you because you don't. He said, pray that we will remain steadfast in the midst of persecution. But I pray for you because you don't have persecution. And his whole point was that a non-persecuted church doesn't have the impetus to live out God's will. This might be a soapbox for me, but maybe we do need a little bit of prodding. Maybe we do need a little bit of persecution. Because it's amazing, when the church is persecuted, man, it's effective. People come to Christ left and right. Now, I know I'm a pastor, I'm saying that. That puts me in the bulls, I get that. But I do think there might come a time where we really need to get serious and it doesn't matter what the government's doing. We just need to stand firm. See, because we're all in this together, we can stand firm. You get a little bit of weak knees, some of us can help you 
stay upright. Your arms get tired from holding them up. Your Aaron and your Miriam could come alongside of you and hold your arms up for you. You get a little tired from the fight and the fight and the fight and the fight and the fight. It's day in, day out, all day, every day, constantly striving, constantly fighting, constantly trying to do this, and you're just tuckered out and you're ready for a rest. Someone else can come along and give you the encouragement that says, hey, take a breather. I got this. Catch your breath. We'll pick back up. Here, let me give you a hand. You see, when when church is living life together, it doesn't matter what other people are doing to the church. The gates of hell don't prevail against the church. You see, when the church is living together, we help each other. Sometimes that's by supplementing what we do. If you've ever seen uh, Mama in the Kitchen, it's dinner time, things are, things are all kind of wrapping up. She just needs an extra pair of hands, right? Right, hey, can you get this to the table? Go ahead and, and put, get cups ready or, or pull that, pull that up out of the oven or whatever it may be. Sometimes you just need that extra hand. Things are, things are going crazy and you just need that extra hand. Some of y'all are like, I've got this. I've been doing it for years and years. I know you do. I don't though. <laughs> so I need the help. Okay. I'll say that. I need the help. We all need the help, don't we? From time to time, we all need someone to come alongside of us, to encourage us, to build us up, to make us keep going. That's what the church does when we're together. That's the two becoming one man. That's the Jew and the Gentile forgetting the former hostilities and joining together in the blood of Christ to make a difference in their worlds. This is what it looks like when the church is the church and not just a, a, a club to come to on Sunday mornings. I got to be honest with you. I didn't grow up in church, but every now and then we went to church and I always felt like it was just going to something. What if church wasn't going to something? What if church was being something? It's a dramatically different way, but I think it's the biblical way. God has made us one. And that one, well, that has some benefits in and of itself. He says at the end of verse 15 that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So there's no more hostility. There's now peace. There's no more separation. There's now nearness. Nearness to God, nearness to each other. There's reconciliation. Reconcile. That's an accounting term. Balancing the books. You reconcile an account. You make sure that everything is right. That's part of what God does in us together. We all have faults. Thank God we don't all have the exact same faults. Man, wouldn't that be bad? I mean, some of you are Alabama fans. Some of you are Auburn fans. And we're one in Christ. What a great thing God does. And he came, verse 17, and preached to you who were far off and peace, peace to you who are far off and peace to you who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. You know, this isn't just a side project of Jesus Christ. And like God the Father and God the Spirit are like, yeah, you do whatever. That's cool. You work on your little thing over there. No, this is all of God involved, isn't it? So what difference does that make? If we were separated and now we are reconciled, well, it means we belong together. And it's not just in the way that you think 
when you think of belonging together. Paul uses the example, verse 19, so then you're no longer strangers and aliens. These are words he's used before. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Household of God. Oh yeah, God's family. (laughs) Look at there. It's amazing how all this works. Look at verse 20 though. Look at, look at, look at what, how he puts this. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So we have this foundation of this building and it is the apostles and prophets. I've heard it explained different ways. And I've really got to think that he's including both Old Testament and New Testament folks in this. Because there are the faithful of Israel in the Old Testament. The faithful of the apostles in the New Testament that lay the foundation for the building that provide those basic things that this building needs. Now that does not mean they're more important and all of us are just, all we are is just another brick in the wall. That's not what this is saying. What this is saying is that they started the project and we're continuing it. Okay? Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone that was rejected because they thought it was wrong, but it's oh so right. Verse 21. Watch this. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. Now, why did he just say is built into a holy temple? Why did he use the word grows? There's something unique about this. What grows? Living things. Rocks grow. You ever notice that? Rocks erode. The constant beating of water slowly erodes rocks away. Rocks don't grow. People do. What if he's saying, not just that we are building this building together, but that we are the building? What if he's saying we're not just building a temple to God, but we are the temple to God? What if he's saying that we ourselves are the living stones fashioned after the living stone who are now comprising this building that's being built as a temple to God? That we are not just the ones that are building God a house. We are the house. The church is the place where God dwells. It's those people in whom God dwells. And if that's true, I really don't need y'all loosening the mortar and taking the brick elsewhere. And you don't need me to do that either. We belong together, cemented in with the mortar of Christ's love, his sacrificial death, in his glorious resurrection, joining us together into a living, breathing temple of God. I told you we belong together. I don't know if you're peanut butter or jelly. I'm not sure. Sometimes I might seem more like peanut butter, and sometimes I might seem more like jelly, but, but it works. Pretty sure I'm not pepper, because I'd sneeze too much. So one of you's got to be the pepper. God brings us together and makes us whole, building us to be his temple. In just a second, we're going to celebrate communion. And communion is one of those times where there's so much symbolism, it's hard to get it all in. But right now, I want to kind of focus on that commune part. Because Paul has told us that through the blood of Christ, we commune with God and we commune with each other. He is the one that makes us a Christian community. And so in this time that we take communion, I'm going to ask you, just for a moment, to bow your heads in prayer and to thank God for the people that he has brought you to. 
Thank God for the ones with whom you belong. Maybe that's, maybe that's some folks that you haven't been treating very well. Maybe that's some folks that haven't been treating you well. Maybe that's some folks that you just haven't gotten to know. Maybe it's some folks that you've sat long hours sitting and talking and enjoying time together and it's easy to be thankful. Well, whether it's easy or not, God has brought us together and so take a moment to thank God for them. Father, we recognize that what you have done has done something that we couldn't have done on our own. We tried. From the moment that Adam and Eve sinned, they started blaming each other, separating themselves, hiding because they were without clothes. It immediately brought division. It wasn't like a, a took a while to settle in. It, it It started right away. And we go from... We can't be around each other without some kind of clothing on to our sons killing each other. It went to a whole bunch of us saying, oh, we're going to get together and we're going to build a great tower up to heaven and force God to deal with us as equals. We couldn't do that. You changed a few languages around and suddenly we're divided again. You set a law for Israel that said you are to be distinct from the nations. And Israel took that to mean that we are great and they are not. Jews hated Gentiles. Gentiles hated Jews. Constant warfare throughout the ages has taught us that man cannot make very good peace. And when we do, it's wonderful that it doesn't last long. We're like Neville Chamberlain saying out, peace in our time, peace with honor. And within a year, we're declaring war on Nazi Germany because they didn't take peace too seriously. That's the human condition, God. We can't, we can't be at peace. We can't be at peace with ourselves. We can't be at peace with you. Not until you step in. Not until you take the penalty for our sins on your son. He dies on the cross paying the price and then rises from the dead demonstrating your power and your glory. But now in light of that, we can't have peace because he's our peace. Father, we recognize our sinfulness and we confess to you all of the problems, all of the bad things, all all of the times that we have failed you. We ask for your help to look more like you every day, to go and sin no more. Father, as we approach this communion, bring us peace with you, peace with each other. As we distribute these elements, as we do this thing that you have instructed your disciples to do may we not forget the reason we can do it together is because of you may we hold ever in our hearts the great cost of the sacrifice that you gave and the great joy that we have in your redemption father be with us as we commune together in christ's name amen